This is Unfiltered, episode 269 for February 14th, 2018. President Trump's personal attorney, that's Michael Cohen, now admits he paid an adult film star who has claimed she had an affair with the president. Cohen told CBS News last night in a private transaction in 2016, I used my own personal funds to facilitate a payment of $130,000 to Stormy Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford. Yes, February 14th, the day that I express my love to you, the patrons, to use those in the audience who don't choose to be a patron, to you, Chris, for running the board, to producer Matt for producing the show. I, I am going to even extend that love out to the trolls as well. Happy Love Day, everybody. Happy Valentine's Day and Unfiltered Day. Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show up at the news you shouldn't be watching. Chris... Sir? I love you, man. I love you too, buddy. Oh, Bye, millennials. <laughs> Stay woke. Yeah, it's uh, it's a love letter this week oh, uh, to Stormy Daniels, actually. That's right. And in, in about a form in about a form of a hundred and fifty thousand dollar value love letter. But yeah, we'll right. be talking about all kinds of things coming up on this week's program. You know, you would almost wonder if if you if you need like three unfiltered shows to get through all of this stuff in a single week. Well, uh, well, I don't know if you're aware, Chris. You know, we do have a uh, a goal. Uh, if you will. Oh, is that, uh, for is that un- so? Yeah, oh. yeah. That on our uh, Patreon page, oh. patreon.com slash unfiltered, uh, there's a goal of oh. more uh, hmm. more unfiltered. Oh. Uh, I don't know if you knew about that. Well, it's we're gonna, called supplemental. We're going to have to talk about that later because this yep. week we'll just make the best we can with what we got. We've got Fair enough. We've got some cyber. We've got some specific Russia cyber. And of course, updates on the Republican memo, the Democrat memo, what's going on, where's the memo. My memo. Uh, Stormy Daniels and uh, what is apparently going to be a new story thread, a big, a big expose coming soon. And then Chase and I have some concerns about revenues and expenses and taxes and uh, deficits. We'll do a little talk about the economy and then we'll wrap it all up with not only a killer high note but – I mean a packed high note. High notes, it's a big, it's a big high note. This high note won't kill you. Yeah, no, no, no I mean, it's totally safe. Uh, but then, man, the overtime too, double stacked overtime. It's just a lot to get double into stack? this week. Yeah, dude, I know, right? So I, I was wondering. I was hungry for overtime. So I, I got a double stack. Are we going to start the show with some cyber? We should totally start the show with some cyber. Fair enough, ASL. And there's a little, uh, there's a little cyber hype this week. About your smart TVs. Millions of smart TVs connected to the internet. Streaming apps like Netflix could be smarter than you think. Anything with a connection is a target for a hacker. A new product test by Consumer Reports found... Stop. Please stop. Yeah. I can't believe you fell for this. Wait, wait. Oh, you don't know what my angle is on this. All right, all right. I got an angle. Okay. I got an angle, buddy. My my, my BS meter just went off because I'm surprised you led with this, but go ahead. Well, I, I feel like sometimes in the cyber segment, we also got to look at how the media covers technology. But it, this is not necessarily the media's fault on this one. You're going to go after Consumer Reports? I'm going to go after Consumer Reports. All right, well, here, I'll play the but thing, and then, uh, and then oh, you say yeah, your bit. Yeah, yeah. A relatively unsophisticated hacker could take control of a smart TV from thousands of miles away and turn the volume up, oh, change my goodness. the channels, <gasps> and force it to play videos to harass or frighten you. All right, so the goat say possibility there is mild. The vulnerabilities are found in smart TVs by Samsung, TCL and others that are connected to the Roku TV platform. Uh-oh. Many of those models also track your personal viewing habits thanks to terms of use that you agree to when setting it up. Is your smart TV really spying on you? Yes, most of the smart TVs, in fact, all the ones that we looked at are configured to... 
This is Justin from Consumer Reports. Hi, Justin. Really spying on you? Yes, most of the smart TVs, in fact, all the ones that we looked at are configured to send back to the manufacturer uh, minute-by-minute reports to the things that you're watching. That information allows companies to target ads to your TV or even other devices based on what you've watched. Samsung responded in a statement saying, protecting consumer data is one of our top priorities. We make every effort to ensure that data is handled with the utmost care. Roku says it takes security very seriously. There is no security risk to our customers' accounts or to the Roku platform, as stated by Consumer Reports. To protect yourself, security experts recommend change your settings by opting out of data collection. Always download software security updates and use a password to protect your Wi-Fi network. Hard-hitting advice here, Chase. Hard-hitting advice. So uh, here's what I did. So there's two angles I have on this, actually. One is uh, I read an article by Kashmir Hill. She published it to Gizmodo, uh, and she's she's a pretty legit journalist. And uh, she actually did an interesting study where she had a friend put a packet capture device on the other end of her router, so on the WAN end of her router, and captured all of the packets out of her house for a month. And then she equipped her home with all the smart devices and an Echo and smart TVs, the thermostats and all of that. Right. And um, even a vibrator, I guess, according to the story. And then they saw what they could capture. And there is some legitimate data leakage in the sense that some of these TVs are sending what you watch as like a TV schedule and they're doing it over HTTP. Um, so there's that element of it, I suppose. But the uh, – I think it's – I what I what I don't get about this story and maybe you can help me understand this part of it is – it's sort of like the media eating itself because NBC is owned by GE and they have some skin in this game and it's like it's, – it's sort oh, of yeah. like NBC, fighting their own product. And by the way, NBC has an app on the Roku marketplace. So, yeah. So, so this Consumer Reports thing, that this is a thing that consu- – uh, Don't what? get me started on that. So, okay, go so, ahead. So the first thing, the reason why Consumer Reports dinged – they really dinged Roku on this because this is Roku – software that is built into these TVs, the Ah. TCLs, the Samsungs and such. The Roku software does allow you to enable an option to essentially put private Roku channels on your television. So these are the third-party channels that are not really on the full Roku marketplace. These are private channels that some people have created to pull down, I will say, content that isn't fully licensed sometimes and things, Content. Things, <clears throat> things of that nature okay the, the the whole data collection thing when I worked at Nielsen uh, part of the thing that we did of course was computer measurement and the when it comes to televisions and smart TVs well yes it does send back diagnostic data it does know what channel number you are, you are on part of the problem here is they say they know what channel you're on Technically, that's true, but a lot of people still use set-top boxes. They they just have things plugged into HDMI port number one, so they're not able to extrapolate a demographic data. They don't know if your kid's watching. They don't know if you're watching. They don't know if your wife's watching. You got to so, figure. So there's a lot of like gray area that they're not even talking about here, which really pisses me off because it's like they're they're really trying to scare you. And it's yeah, these this is a safe thing. And they're 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 trying to say, oh my god, oh my god, and oh the sky is falling. We cannot recommend this. We're Consumer Reports. Well, the normal everyday consumer, eh, you should have 
yeah, your password protected on your network. That that goes without. We saying. have seen stories where it turns out they're listening to audio or um, things like of that nature. But I think from like a security standpoint, it it bothers me to be putting more sophisticated operating systems that are connected to a network because you got to figure even like uh, the best smart television platform probably doesn't get updates beyond five years, right? Oh, yeah. And But these things could be eight, ten-year devices. So it does seem like they could be another spying exploit device. Ah, uh, okay. So I think that's what the geeks worry about. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then the average consumers are worried about the privacy aspect. And, of it. But, but, but if people they, really care, they wouldn't be putting echoes in their houses. Right. Not only echoes, but you can opt out of the data collection. Usually it's a box check saying, do you, do you mind if I send back diagnostic data? A lot of people just blindly hit next when they're setting up their stuff. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, people are not reading what they're getting into. Yeah. All right, let's keep going on the uh, the so the this I got a, I got one red book prediction right now here, uh, oh, here up it is. front. Um, right. Maybe I've made this one before because I'm so convinced of it. I'm almost we'd be surprised if I haven't. Uh, perhaps producer Matt can check the electronic red book. I say regulation is coming to social media platforms. They haven't worked it out yet. But regulation Three giants is of coming. social media have been grilled by a panel of UK lawmakers over allegations of Russian interference on their platforms during the Brexit vote. But there's been little, if anything, to back up those allegations. We looked at all advertisements with any connection to Russia, and, and we found no evidence of our services being used to interfere in the Brexit referendum. A very small number of suspected internet research agency linked accounts, 49 such accounts, were active during the referendum campaign, which represents less than uh, 0.005% of the total number of accounts that uh, these are very low levels of engagement. Until we've completed this investigation, we won't know. But what we haven't had is uh, information that's enabled us to target on a particular page. So this is going on uh, across the pond. Uh, and I have in the show notes a, uh, a sampling, a small sampling of stories that have been trickling in since November about regulating Facebook. The CEO of Salesforce was at an industry uh, event and he said that uh, – and he was speaking to the media. So it's media. It's a media industry event. He says to these people in the media, it's it's time to start treating Facebook like we – like the way we treated Big Tobacco. And I, I don't know exactly what that means, but I would interpret that to mean we're going to now destroy Facebook's reputation and get them regulated the same way we did to Big Tobacco. Oh, Bill boy. Gates just came out and said uh, that social media companies should proactively work with government to do uh, proactive regulation so that way they avoid the legal pitfalls that Microsoft ran into during the monopoly suit days. So that just came out too. Uh, and so the pressure is on and it's – It's getting coverage on the New York Times. It's getting coverage on NBC. Tonight, a major advertiser threatening to abandon Facebook. Consumer product maker Unilever, which makes Dove soap, Lipton tea, and Pepsodent, says it may pull ads from the platform because of consumer complaints alleging toxic content, racism, and fake news. There's some unintended consequences that now need addressing. And we're going to prioritize our investment to help focus that. Facebook, which made $40 billion on ads last year, responded, saying we fully support Unilever's commitments and are working closely with them. 
The hit comes amid growing criticism of Facebook. A new Wired magazine investigation digs into the company's troubled two years since the 2016 election. The company has a whole lot of threats. Zuckerberg thinks about all of these dangers, and they really started to weigh on him. Last month, former oh. Facebook manager Sandy Parakilis told us he warned the platform could be manipulated by bad actors in 2012. There were a lot of people who were trying to take you know, some kind of malicious activity using Facebook's platform. Is what you're telling me then that Mark Zuckerberg is not doing enough? Facebook is not doing enough. They're not doing anywhere near enough. In recent months, Zuckerberg has deployed 14,000 people and artificial intelligence to stop false news and offensive behavior. He's clearly been in a fight, but he's also confident. They now think, though, that at least they're starting to turn the ship around. The biggest social network navigating the rough waters of trust and truth. Yeah, they're going to position them as a media outlet and they're going to have to be regulated like a media outlet. NBC News published today uh, their database of the tweets from Russian bots Mm -hmm. and Russian accounts. And I have that linked in the show notes if you'd like to go look at it. Conveniently, one of the things that they did is they created a shared Google spreadsheet of the top 10 troll accounts, uh, the Russian troll accounts that influenced social media on the election. So you can, you, if you would like to just take 30 seconds of your day and go look at what those were, they're linked in the show notes, and, there's a, and there is a Google spreadsheet that you can open up and just view of the top 10 troll accounts, and you can see how little traction they got because one of the columns is how many times the tweet was retweeted, how many times was it favorited, how many followers, and it's like all of the other tweets we've ever covered on the show. Most of them have no retweets. Some of them have somewhere around five or less. Some of them have a few likes. And that's the top ten. So it's not really about meddling in the election. That's just one of the many avenues now. And the, 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 the great thing is, is the pressure on Russia meddling in the election is only getting stronger. New warnings from America's top intelligence officials about Russia already targeting this year's midterm elections. Are- so this is the perfect environment in which to apply even more pressure to Twitter, Google, Facebook, probably anybody that has a social platform that's of a certain size where you could say it's being used to trade news or something. America's top intelligence officials about Russia See, already targeting this year. I I saw the same story this morning, actually, and I that's an interesting take on that. I'm not saying that's why they're running this story. No, no, no. I know, but that's that's definitely You're a different. That'll give the environment. That's a definitely a different environment because the the take that I got from this is the ongoing feud between the intelligence agencies and and the executive branch. Yeah, that's it. I'm. Yeah, I don't. I don't no, need no, to no, cast I, it one way. But no, yeah. I, no, I know. But that's also another potential angle that I didn't even consider. Which, which is a great point, is that they can also spin this in that way, where they say, "Well, well all yeah. right, we need Twitter, we need Facebook." Yeah, yeah no, it's, they, it's, that, no, I, it's, it's brilliant for that. Great reason. insight. Yeah, great <laughs> warnings insight. Warnings from America's top intelligence officials about Russia already targeting this year's midterm elections. Our chief justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, has more in Washington. And Pierre, this warning comes, as we know, millions prepared to head to the polls later this year. Robin, good morning. I've covered a lot of hearings, but this certainly was not business as usual. The nation's top intelligence officials had a stark warning about the upcoming congressional midterm elections. The Russians are coming again. The director of national intelligence was incredibly blunt, saying, quote, 
the United States is under attack. And the CIA director said that the U.S. has already uncovered evidence of Russians targeting the upcoming elections. And Robin, ABC News has learned that the Russians plan not only to use social media to sow discord through fake news, but are probing state election systems to see if they can be infiltrated. I like discord. I use it all the time. Now, did you hear the language he used there? That sounds like ABC is getting information about Russia's plans. Fake news. Listen. ABC News has learned that uncovered See, evidence of Russians targeting the upcoming elections. So the ABC has learned this. ABC News Robin, has learned. ABC News has learned that the Russians plan not only to use social media to sow discord. How would they know that? It would have to be an intelligence leak. A leak or research. It's it's hard to speculate that. Yeah, it is. It, it is. I and wish they could just say. I know some people will go immediately go, oh, it's a leak. It's a definitely a leak. We you don't know. know. It's, like there's really low, don't it's just know. like there's lower third. You could say this like in the lower third, you could say according to a source familiar with the matter or according to independent research. Like there's right. so many ways to say it. And, in, and And they know that they have a legitimacy problem. Like, they know that. So why don't they take advantage of the tools they have so that way the audience can build trust in their reporting? You know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I said that the U.S. has Words already matter. uncovered evidence of Russians targeting the upcoming elections. And Robin, ABC News has learned that the Russians plan not only to use social media to sow discord through fake news, but are probing state election systems to see if they can be infiltrated. A sobering day on Capitol Hill, Robin. Absolutely. It's a sobering day. So, yeah, it's, it, the, the hacks are on. And, in fact, it was a serious warning. Next is Russia, where President Putin will continue to rely on assertive foreign policies to shape outcomes beyond Russia's borders. Putin will resort to more authoritarian tactics to main control. Authoritarian. challenges to his rule. With respect to Russian influence efforts, let me be clear. The Russians utilize this tool because it's relatively cheap, it's low risk, it offers what they perceive as plausible deniability, and is proven to be effective at sowing division. It just doesn't even seem tactically wise anymore. If uh, the intelligence agencies are so hip and, and aware of what they're doing, it just seems tactically unsound that the Russians would keep doing it. I don't understand it. They, those crazy rescues, dude, huh? So I, I want to... I want to say something in that right now we don't have any evidence in front of us that you and I can see that's been released through any kind of traditional media or anything like that. All we have to go on is what is being said by government officials and the intelligence agencies, okay? Yep. That's probably all we'll ever I have. I know. And I, let me be clear. Unless, I mean, maybe a leaker. Yeah. But let me be clear here. Um, that doesn't – it doesn't mean that it's not true. And, and, I, and, I, and I really feel – that there we, seems to be a lot of smoke. I mean, they're I, making a lot I of know, noise. And I know. But, but, dot, 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 it still doesn't mean it's not true. Yeah. And so I think we got to be very careful here just, you know, to look at it with full, our eyes fully open that we don't automatically dismiss anything just because it's on in front of us. We don't have to 100% believe it. I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying we don't have to 100% yep. dismiss yep. it. And, and I, think I think we sometimes get in a, tra- uh, a trap in doing that. I think there's a couple of things that have muddied the water in that particular issue. I think – Totally, um, totally. The, cause the thing that is – the thing that I try to do is keep the idea that there could be different – meddling is this vague term that could mean everything from – uh, by sending money through PR firms, buying ads, paying off politicians, paying lobbying groups. I think you could technically consider that meddling in an election. 
uh, which they ab- Russia absolutely does that. It also could mean like leaking information to the Trump campaign and trying to position WikiLeaks in a place to be uh, basically a megaphone of information. That is possible um, as well. And the thing that muddies the water is all of this Christopher Steele, uh, Golden Showers dossier crap that is just getting more and more delegitimized and it looks political. And then you got people like my buddy Schiff who also – and Nunes who also make it look like it's political. And so – which is a totally different layer. Like it's a different layer of the seven-layer Russian dip. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it could be that <clears throat> the cheese layer is phony or it could be that the bean layer is phony or the entire dip is phony or you know whatever. We just won't know until we go further down the road and it's just – maddening to tell them because there's these dramas like these story arcs uh from a bad netflix series that come up and like one of them right now is what are we four weeks into this memo shit what is this like the fourth week of this memo stuff yeah and uh so last week as we were wrapping up the episode it was there may be another memo coming out we'll have to see well now we know all right breaking news uh we can tell you the president of the united states has uh decided not to release the democratic memo the rebuttal to the newness memo which alleged abuse at the highest levels of the fbi he says that there are changes that need to be made he is sending it back to the committee let's go to jim acosta let's not so uh (laughs) that is that was the breaking news right and uh which which we should have red booked it. Oh, I know. Because I think that would have been the easiest red book ever. I know. Because as soon as it happened, I, I uh, texted Chris and I was just like, I am shocked. Yeah, Not. so let's dig into this a little bit. Here's Tucker's take on it. It'll be quick. There's a battle underway in Washington over memos. Democrats have asked President Trump to release their memo. It's a rebuttal to the Nunes memo of 10 days ago. Oh, yeah. FBI. The president says he will release it, but at this point, the memo contains too much classified information that must be taken out or altered before the public can see it. Some are saying that was the plan all along, that Democrats deliberately created a memo they knew couldn't be released. Congressman Eric. Now, I'm going to stop here. So this has been a night. This was a theory that they were floating, uh, I think, before Schiff even finished his memo. Um, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to tell you something here. Uh, I can't I can't see this any other way because of my bias towards how much I hate Adam Schiff. <laughs> and my hatred for Adam Schiff has actually grown stronger. That's not true. You sent him a Valentine today. I was uh, I was doing a little review for the live stream of um, of like Trey Gowdy since he's leaving. And they they had some questions and I was calling back like, who's this guy he was arguing with a couple of years ago? Oh, it was Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff, Adam Schiff. He kept coming up in these different searches I was doing. So I just have this whole new appreciation of what a political weasel he has been. It goes way deeper than this Russiagate stuff. It goes it goes past Benghazi. He has been a water boy for his entire political career. And uh, <laughs> so here's what I believe to be fact based on what I've read and watched. There's two memos that have been created. Now, Schiff and a few others were predominantly uh, cr- uh, created created their memo as a response to a memo that uh, is called the Nunes memo, although Nunes didn't really have anything to do with drafting it. Uh, Trey Gowdy and uh, I forget the other individual's name did. They're the actually only ones that have seen the underlying intelligence. Anyways, 
They then give it to a committee who actually is like a team of people who write these things specifically to be released as non-classified. They still left information in there that the FBI and Justice Department wanted redacted, which was information that indicated that Christopher Steele had been a long-time FBI um, asset, which would imply that perhaps he was double-dutying um, – for different agencies, but they they decided not to redact that. Trump decided it wasn't worth redacting. Before Trump released the memo, it did go through a legal review and a review by the Pentagon. Then they provided Trump a it's okay to release thumbs up. The Justice Department said they didn't like the idea and Trump released it. Now, the Schiff memo inherently by its very nature as being a response memo was rushed they rushed it. They, it wasn't written by a committee whose entire purpose is to rewrite these intelligence, underlying intelligence documents if for public disclosure. It was written together by members of, of, of Schiff's team to just respond to it. And the, there, there is one action that put me over the edge into thinking this was a political stunt. Uh, also, Schiff's follow-ups to this – I also sort of did that. But there was one action – that I really think shows you he knew which direction this was going. So when the memo is going up to Trump's office, once they get the day and the time that it's going to Trump, Schiff books an appointment on the Bill Maher show. Before, and there's been no answer on the memo yet. While Schiff is in the air to the Bill Maher show, and if you've never watched Bill Maher show, he's got this interview he does up front on the show, and then he's got like a panel. Yeah, it's the real news thing, yeah. So he gives Schiff, that's that up front interview. Schiff is on the plane while Trump is reviewing the memo. Trump denies the release of the memo while Schiff is on the plane. He lands and he immediately sits down prepared with lines to talk about the memo release. First off, he's the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee from California's 28th, our own Congressman Adam Schiff. Also, just listen to like the little mini conversation they have. He's such a good boy. How are you? Good to see you. Oh, we love having you on. We love having you on. guy is i mean he doesn't he doesn't you bug really me. you really don't like him he doesn't bug me i mean he's just he's just the worst little weasel all right so and not only are you a great guest and the audience loves you a liberal icon now but i know you bear news because this just happened today probably while you were in the air Boy, if that's what it takes to be a liberal icon whew. flying out here from washington trump is not going to Release. Oh, did you hear that part? I talked right over it. It's almost... Before you were in the air flying out here from Washington, Trump is not going to release the other part of the dueling memos, right? Well, that's right. Uh, you see, last week, um, over the objections of the FBI and the Department of Justice, uh, who said, don't release this, this is extraordinarily right. reckless, it's misleading, it omits material facts, uh, he said, I don't care. It's going out. That's Sight the unseen. Nunes memo. That was the Nunes memo. This week, though, the White House apparently has a newfound admiration for the yeah. FBI. <laughs> I was um, no, he's coming in with some lines. You wouldn't want to release anything that the FBI the, might be concerned about. The way um, they turn on a dime. So that's the narrative. Well, now, it's the, and that could totally be a possibility. I think what it is is Trump play, playing political hot potato. There's stuff in there they don't want released, and he doesn't want to be the one to censor no returns. it. 
Please shed some light on this. Well, it's difficult to analyze a document that we haven't seen. Yeah. Now, the, the, the president's people could have redacted, could have blacked out the material they didn't want us to see. But then he would be accused of censorship. So he basically sent it back to the Democrats on the committee saying, here's my objections. You know, come to some middle ground or compromise or get rid of enough of it to satisfy me. So he punts it back. He punts it. So that way they have to censor it and then bring it back to him. And Schiff's already agreed. Yeah, I'll work with Justify- the top FBI. Yeah, on the House Intelligence Committee will work with the FBI to edit his rebuttal to the Republican memo released last week on alleged bias by the Bureau and the Justice Department. Two weeks ago now, President Trump says he will not declassify the Adam Schiff document because it contains too many of the country's secrets. Here's Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge. Those things need to be uh, redacted. House Republicans back the White House rejection of the Democrats' memo they say is loaded with national security sources. A highly placed intelligence uh, asset attended a particular event in a particular country, in a particular location, at a particular time, which it does. Um, He claims that's in there. I don't know. That's his claim. Country in a particular location at a particular time, which it does. Um, you know, I can figure out who that intelligence asset is. And if I can, our adversaries can. A source close to the process said Democrats can expedite the review by making the requested FBI and Justice Department redactions laid out in these letters signed by FBI Director Christopher Ray. So Ray essentially writes back, if you make these changes, you don't have to go back and vote on it again. We're good. And Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. No committee vote would be required, and the memo could go directly to the president for declassification. However, the source said revisions beyond the recommended redactions would likely require another committee vote behind closed doors, slowing down the process. Yeah, so if it requires serious editing, then that's really going to screw it up. And that I don't think they're going to want to do. So I heard about, and I don't know if this is true or not, I hadn't been able to cross-track and verify. Which would can, I thought uh, your best buddy, Mr. Schiff, can't he just go to the House floor and just read it? I thought that there that you that can is do that. a thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this is all political theory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I mean, if it's such a concern for him to go out and get this memo out there to rebuttal memo, he can just go out on the floor and, and read, read it, it right now. Yeah, he could. But he's not going to because it's political. Yeah, I mean, just I, like the first memo, it, I believe it was political. You don't just okay. So the thing that I know that Bill Maher thing is, think about that. You don't just accidentally wind up on a plane on Bill Maher's show. That's planned in advance, man. Yeah, that that is an. When, th- and that's an you go, you're going, you're going with a very intent, and you were, you know, he goes in with some lines. Right. He already knew what he was going to say. The whole, I think he was already. I was reading an analysis, uh, you know, probably I think it was like a right-leaning analysis. I read stuff from everywhere, and they were saying that, well, he did this intentionally because he knew that it was going to get kicked back. So he was it was was a political ploy. If it was if it was somebody else, I'd be like, eh. But what puts it over the edge for me is Schiff has been so so smarmy like this, like it's leaky, yes, slick. He's slick, slick. Slick. yeah. Yeah. He's he's slick, Woody. Yes. (laughs) 
Oh, no, 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 stop that now. Open to changes. We're going to sit down with the FBI and Wait, go through any concerns that they have uh, and any legitimate concerns over sources and methods uh, we will redact. Over the weekend, President Trump accused Democrats of laying a trap, including sources and methods that would have to be removed, then allowing Democrats to accuse the White House of not being transparent. Accusations backed up by the president's aides. So it's very clear who's playing politics with people's lives. The Republicans write a memo which the FBI quite accurately describes as misleading and omitting material facts. The Department of Justice says it would be extraordinarily reckless uh, to release this. Uh, and what does the president do? He says, I'm going to release it. The House Intelligence Committee's Republican chairman called the 10-page Democrat memo political because it characterizes a Trump campaign advisor as a double agent and the British spy behind the DNC Clinton-funded Trump dossier as credible. They attack my, myself. They attack Chairman Gowdy. Uh, they turn uh, Carter Page into some super secret Russian spy. Can you believe this investigation has gotten to this level of a shit show? Like, when we, I, do you remember? It the, started spinning this direction because of Devin Nunes, to yeah, be blunt. Yeah. It, remember, it was. That's when it broke out, yeah, for sure. About a year ago. Although it may when, have always been, but that's know, when it went public. When when Devin did the end around and went to the White he House. He rushed over to Grandpa's house. Yeah, exactly. Now, it started then. Don't you think, I mean, just like look back when you and I remember. I just. It's quaint thinking about you and I sitting here on these microphones going, yeah. wonder where all this Russia stuff's going. They keep they keep talking about Russia an awful lot during during the run up to the election. And now here we are where this total complete shit show is happening. It's it's really remarkable. Behind the DNC Clinton funded Trump dossier as credible. They attack my, myself, they attack Chairman Gowdy, uh, they turn uh, Carter Page into some super secret Russian spy. Uh, they talk about how Christopher Steele is a is a really, really good source when we know that he lied to the FBI. So we, we want this out. Schiff also <laughs> called out Senator. Yana Wade, you see what he says there? We want this out. If they put a memo out where they're putting all of their eggs in that in that dossier and Christopher Steele, uh, that almost feels like they're going to sink their own boat. Yeah, and, and and this is where it goes back to what I said even about Schiff. They could have just went out to the House floor, and they could have just read it, yeah. and they could have, you know, and but no, they're they're playing this this game back and forth, and who gets held in the lurch? We all do, and that's the thing that gets gets us all pissy. So uh, I can't believe we're about to talk about uh, Stormy Daniels on the Unfilter program, but I guess it just wouldn't be the current era of politics without this conversation coming up. And I debated whether I wanted to cover this. My first pass on this was this is a dumb story and I don't really want to talk about it. Um, no, wait. Can I yeah, ask probe? Why? Can I probe in that a little yep, bit? Yep. Why? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean – it is very peculiar. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same reason why I wrote off Hillary's email server. It's like, well, yeah, all these guys are doing this, right? You know, like the this is probably a great side business for a lot of really famous porn stars. But I mean, for example, the the whole scandal that you know with uh, President Clinton getting impeached. Yeah, that's why. And, I th and Monica Lewinsky. And these things have a tendency to stick. I yeah. think this is going to stick. That's why I think it's worth talking about. I want to yeah. go back in time to last month. But see, again, I, because I wasn't really tracking this, I grabbed – I mean I was tracking it. I grabbed the clip, but I didn't want to really run it on the show. But I think it's pretty relevant now. This is some investigation done by the Wall Street Journal that shows that Trump's lawyer set up an LLC to pay the porn star. And this is coverage that they revealed back in January before we knew what we now know today. A new report this morning in the Wall Street Journal says the president's personal attorney went to great lengths to keep a former porn star from speaking out about an alleged affair 
shared with Trump before he was president. This is back in 2006. All right, joining us now, one of the authors of this story, Michael Rothfeld, investigative reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks so much for being with us. As we said, in another era, you know, you would be you know, the most sought-after reporter in America right now to explain this story. This is that Donald Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, and we've all seen him on TV. Many of us have spoken to him extensively, set up a private company to pay off this adult film star. Explain. He set up a company called uh, Essential Consultants LLC in Delaware, and it basically distances him from the payment. And uh, people commonly will use uh, shell companies, corporations, in order to do like a one-off transaction. And that way, his name isn't you know on a transfer to another bank, so many people would not see where the money was coming Unless from. Unless they're investigative reporters like you, and he wasn't as careful as he could have been to shield his name from being attached to this. Timing matters. This alleged payoff happened weeks before the election in October. That's right, about three weeks before. And we know that Stormy Daniels, uh, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford, a former porn star, had been in discussions with Mr. Cohen for several weeks, uh, months actually. To- this is one of those stories I think the media can't resist. That's another reason why this isn't going to go away. Even if it's even even if you say take give Trump all of the license and say this really happened, he has a clear agreement with his wife where he's going to sleep around because this he's been he's been married a few times and he's realized he can't say that because he's got this. I know. Uh, I'm just saying I know, like, the clear I, Christian right. You know, oh yeah, I agree. Thing. I yeah, agree. Yeah. But I'm just saying like as the viewer, even so, you're just heaping all of the benefit of the doubt onto right. the situation. Yeah. The media still will never re- relent because she's beautiful, so they can show pictures of her, which is great for ratings, so that's going to draw them to it. They love the roll and B-roll of her. It's scandalous, and it also reveals something that the elite do probably fairly often. I don't know how legitimate this is, but we got a note in the show before we started today on Telegram that said, I'm a lawyer, and I've done this for my clients. My personal funds, it's only for clients I know are going to pay for, uh, for a long time. I've done this. And I'm not that – he's like, I'm not that big time. And I've done this. So so if that – So means, that's something else I think that people – so like I'm just saying okay. people in the media probably know this is a common thing. So they probably know it's real. Right. So exactly. And that's what I was going to say. Then why would the administration completely deny it? Well, I think for for the family values reasons and all that. I mean the, the thing that really stinks about this story is it all happened three months after his son was born. You know, that stinks. Yeah, that's... Yeah. yeah. So here's what we know today. President Trump's personal attorney, that's Michael Cohen, now admits he paid an adult film star who has claimed she had an affair with the president. Cohen told CBS News last night in a private transaction in 2016, I used my own personal funds to facilitate a payment of $130,000 to Stormy Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford. The Wall Street Journal reports the payment was made a month before the 2016 election as part of an agreement that precluded Daniels from publicly discussing an alleged sexual encounter with Donald Trump back in 2006. Chip Reed is at the White House with the latest on this story. Chip, good morning. So I've read a little bit of a interview that I think they're going to mention in here, but she did an interview back in 2011, right? And I read a little bit of that today, and I sent you a quote from it, too which is pretty funny about sharks. But one of the things she says in there is that he was a fan of hers, uh, that he was actually pretty much a gentleman for the most part, uh, and that he asked her to sign one of her porn DVDs. So, wow. It's good to be rich. 
Good morning. Michael Cohen is President Trump's longtime personal attorney and one of his staunchest defenders. Last month, he denied that President Trump ever had an affair with Stormy Daniels, but he hasn't addressed the payment until now. Did you have a sexual relationship with Donald Trump? You can't answer that. Stormy Daniels has been coy in television interviews about her relationship with President Trump. After allegations first surfaced in the Wall Street Journal, attorney Michael Cohen gave CBS News a statement from Daniels calling claims of a sexual and or romantic affair with Mr. Trump, quote, absolutely false. Rumors that I have received hush money from Donald Trump are completely false. After the Journal's report, In Touch magazine published an interview with Daniels from 2011. Yeah, In Touch. That's where it was from. That's where they talk about the sharks, the porn DVD. The Journal's report, In Touch magazine published an interview with Daniels from 2011 where she admitted to the affair. In an appearance on Jimmy Kimmel Live, she did not deny signing an agreement to keep quiet. Do you have a non-disclosure agreement? Do I? You can't say whether you have a non-disclosure agreement, but if you didn't have a non-disclosure agreement, you most certainly could say, I don't have a non-disclosure agreement. Yes? You're so smart, Jimmy. Oh, (laughs) she looks like Trump's type, too, doesn't she? Doesn't she? Uh, The reports of a payment prompted government watchdog group Common Cause to file complaints with the FEC and the Justice Department. They said the payments could have been considered an unreported in-kind contribution to President Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. In his statement last night, Cohen claimed the payment was lawful, was not a campaign contribution or campaign expenditure, and was made with his personal funds. Neither the Trump Organization nor the Trump campaign was a party to the transaction, and Neither reimbursed me for the payment, either directly or indirectly. He added, I will always protect Mr. Trump. The White House has not commented on the payment or the alleged relationship. In his statement, Cohen also said, just because an allegation isn't true doesn't mean it can't harm or damage someone. Chip, thanks. Thanks, Chip. So uh, I guess they could get away with saying that... It was a relationship that the lawyer was having. I mean, that could be where they go with this, but it just really takes some audio being released or something like that to come out. Well, I I, I heard this. I don't know if it's true. I'm pref- prefacing that right now, but allegedly she's out of the non-disclosure. Well, she thinks so. Yeah, I've got some links in the show notes. Yeah. She thinks by them talking about this, they just invalidated the NDA, which now she just made clear there was an NDA. And she says now she's allowed to tell her story. And so I think she's essentially shopping it right now. So when do you think that story's going to release? Maybe September? I think she's going to. I think she's savvy, too. I get a sense that oh, this yeah. is a savvy businesswoman. And oh, yeah. she's going to run with this thing and uh, make some money at it. She's and a perfect, uh, professional actor, man. She's going to make money. Uh, and uh, Trump's going to have to keep dealing with this. It's going to be they're going to keep throwing it at him. I, I suspect. Yeah, I I don't see how you don't, especially when it comes to like uh, you know affairs and scandal and, and uh, going going back uh, even to uh, the Kennedy administration, right? Uh, they were saying you know he would bring in secret girlfriends yeah, or dude, something this like is, that. This, so, one, this is why it doesn't yeah, surprise me. And yeah. That's also maybe why I don't know if I consider it to be a huge scandal either, because maybe not a huge scandal, but when you when you have a president running on a platform of morals yeah, and the whole, you know that that's family. where you well, that's when you open the door yeah i suppose if you could take the family stuff away they would probably not play well with the voters yeah. it'd be interesting yeah. um so they're also speaking of things that they're hoping play well with the voters i think they're hoping these tax cuts by the time the election rolls around 
are starting to be received positively by the middle class. Uh, and the problem seems to be that Wall Street disagrees. When the Dow plunged below 25,000 today, it wiped out all of this year's gains. The bad news on Wall Street started with good news on Main Street. A strong January labor report last week showing 200,000 jobs added, the unemployment rate staying at a 17-year low, and hourly wages jumping nearly 3%. You know, I do anecdotally <clears throat> excuse me, feel like when I'm out, uh, it does feel like there's, there's more people shopping. It does feel like the, the roads are busier so, and restaurants have more people in them. Uh, but I still don't buy this unemployment number because of all the people that are just out of the labor force now. Uh, I think what we are seeing – this is Chris. Well, he doesn't know anything. Don't take stock advice from Chris. Is I think that the media is feeding you one reason that the stock market is having a bit of a shit right now. But I think there's a much bigger reason. We know unemployment is low. We know more jobs are being created. We know wages are going up. So what that means is that the Federal Reserve may start to raise interest rates, and that is going to take money out of the stock market. So this is the big narrative. The, uh, because the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates, the stock market's freaking out. Uh, but like all things in a huge market, it takes more than one thing to move the market. You have to be in the right conditions for a correction, which we have been. And I think it's more than just this interest rate thing, which plays into it, no doubt. But I think it's also the fact that we just cut taxes and now we just wrote essentially a blank check to all kinds of crazy-ass expensive government costs. Investors worry a strong economy means rising inflation and questions on how much the new Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, will raise interest rates. So we could be on the verge of increasing inflation. We just cut revenue and increased our expenses. This is not a good recipe. We've been here before. Uh-huh. So so why are we going down this road? Why 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 the big push then? Well, the theory is is that if you stimulate the economy by cutting taxes a bit um and and whatnots and maybe bringing in some more cash like Apple's doing, then what you end up doing is creating a, a base that generates more revenue that not only gets you out of the deficit you're creating but also generates additional revenue. Like it's like this – like you're supercharging the economy. You're like throwing gasoline on a fire is the idea. And then the, then the economy burns hot. That's the concept. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know though. You and I have been chatting about this offline a bit. It's like, oh, this makes me a little nervous. It seems like when we do that, it ends up going very badly for us. But we'll watch. We'll see. I'm obviously uh, no stock trader. I, I, I barely even fancy myself an old school Bitcoin trader. So do not pay any attention to what I say. It's none, none of my advice is valid. Get rid of all of it. Just, just go. All right, Mr. Chase. Yes. What do you say? Uh, should we do uh, a little sack? I just can't. Before no, we, uh, I, I just can actually. I can hit to the sack because it's boy. because it's time for a super sack. Oh, a super sack! So eh? I'm going to do this from time to time. I'm not just going to wait for special occasions. I'm going to spring this on you. A super sack will be open. <laughs> a super sack will be open to all patrons, but I'm going to limit you guys to one sentence. Okay, so if you go over that. And no run-on sentences, no cheating. Okay. But, of course, Club 33 will always, All right. always get the, like the open sack. Also, right. oh, Club 33 gets a full sack. They, they always okay. – yeah. So if you're a Club 33 guy, you can jump in anytime. We always love you guys because you guys really support us. 
Landon writes and says, I've been seeing all the news that I shouldn't be. Oh, no. The coverage of North Korea at the Olympics is shockingly horrifying. I know. It seems like all the context of what life is like in North Korea is lost in the stories. Is it really as bad as I think out there? Hmm. Vice has done some really good documentary stories about North Korea. I suggest you check them out. I have some clips in the supporter sync too, which uh, might be worth checking. By the out. way, curling rocks. It's all I got to say. I love love the Olympics. Drew writes in. Care to list your I'm votes? Feeling it this year. I, I'm 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 watching it every night. Huh. Uh, Drew writes and says, "Care to list your votes in every past presidential election where you were old enough to vote?" And I I, I saw this question earlier, and I was thinking in my head. I was thinking I I voted for George Senior. I voted for Bill. Uh, I voted for Gary Johnson twice, back to back, including the last election. And I might be missing one. Maybe hmm. it was maybe it was Bush. I think it was like Bush, Clinton, Bush, Johnson, Johnson. My memory is so bad. I feel like I would have to like actually sit down and write it out to actually answer that because I. The last one I remember voting for felt like I like I was just sort of. Uh, protest voting for Gary Johnson. So I, I do remember that one. <laughs> I think I voted for Obama's first term, I think. And I think that was the first president I ever voted for. Okay. I think, oh, I did vote for Obama. I yeah, did. First term Obama. First term Obama. I was then, young. And then Johnson Johnson. And I got to say, yeah. 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 I, I did not vote for Obama the re-election. I did not. You know, it's partially, it's it's so partially Obama's fault that I'm I'm so woke now. I am so woke. I'm so woke now because of him because he was promising all this hope and change and shit. Yeah, and they got in there and nothing. It felt good at the start. We were all feeling it. We thought he was we were gonna going get a... for the young vote. Yeah. He was playing us I like know. a fiddle. We got played. I did get played. <sighs> Burst my bubble. Fire Fury and Drones writes in and says, "Hey, yo, Chris and Chase. So my country's celebrating 100 years of independence with 50 of those on your odd occupation still, and the mood is crazy with corruption, tax avoidance, deterioration of public services, while everyone's out for themselves. But hey, we still have plenty of love. So greetings from Lithuania. Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Robin writes in. So 5:38 put out a podcast this week, which can be distilled into them saying." All the hate and attention paid toward your good friend, Nancy Pelosi, is unfair. Their arguments being in order, one, all congressional leaders get flack, so it's no different. Two, people and media are sexist. Three, oh boy, that one. people and media are ageist. I yeah. know you, Chris, say she represents the rot of the establishment, but would love to hear a few points from you guys I got, on I got why one Nancy one. deserves to be examined with a more critical What do you eye. always say? Show me the money! Show me the money! So uh, somebody should Google search just or go bing this real quick. Uh, how much money Nancy Pelosi just raised recently for yeah. the Democratic Party? It's I believe it's somewhere uh, in the multi-million, like $70 million even or something. It's a, it, She just blew, blew the doors off on fundraising recently. Yeah. She brings in so much money for the party – uh, that they are – and the DNC is so broke itself that they are – they, the Democrats themselves, like the rank and follow, are are so tied to her money teat that they, they have to work with somebody that they all know is inherently incompetent and should be out. She's embarrassing. She devalues the party every time she opens her mouth. And the problem is that she erodes the faith and trust in their most progressive base, in their younger base. When they see her up there – they lose faith in the Democratic Party. 
She is their worst spokesperson, and she, turns out that's her position. Um, so, yeah, I think she's a huge problem for the party, and I think until Democrats like her are gone, yeah. just like Democrats like Hillary I, have to yeah. go, they're going to they're gonna get their asses handed there, to them in a there, lot of places. There's like an older Democratic establishment that needs to wake the hell up. Because they're they're trying to play the same old games, and there's even some new guys. And I kind of call Schiff a newish guy. He's playing the same games. Yeah, she just rose. She just raised two days ago. This news story: Nancy Pelosi raises fifty million dollars for House Dems yeah. in 2017. Yeah. Uh, so this is the problem: is that Nancy Pelosi is so well connected because she is corrupt. Yeah. That she brings in so much damn money to the people, the rank and file, that can't depend on an organized DNC. Yeah. They have to get money somewhere. They need that money to play the game. And Nancy's the one writing the checks. Andrew Barton writes and says, hey, question. In your wildest dreams, what would the show become over the next 10 years and how would it affect the world we live in? Well, I first hope that we're all around in 10 years. You know, hey, we have good health and everything. But that being said, this... The show sometimes, and I'm going to be honest with everybody, including you, Chris, that, you know, it adds a little level of stress because of the fact that, you know, we see what's going on with our country. We see the constant polarization and bickering yeah. on both <laughs> sides. And and it, it, it bothers me just as a person in general because I, I, I remember back in the day we would be able to have – I feel like we were able to have cordial debates and talk to each other. We weren't uh, – wrapped in our confirmation bias of media. I really try to force myself, Chris, every single day when I'm when I'm reading about the news, I will flip to a conservative radio station. I will flip to a liberal radio station. I will read CNN. I will read Fox News. I will read alternative other, uh, you know, uh, you know, not mainstream news websites. And I feel like a lot of us don't do that. Because we get so wrapped up in our confirmation bias that yeah, this is what we're this is what I believe because you know those guys are bad or no I read this those guys are bad and we get so wrapped up into it that it's it's like we we forget to talk to each other and listen to each other so I feel I'm like, hoping in ten years that we're able to do that I feel like what happened was uh, and uh, of course this of course it goes this way but this is my honest opinion is that I think. Uh, a year before a year before Hillary ever decided or ever publicly announced, of course she already decided. A year before Hillary, maybe even two years before Hillary publicly announced that she'd be running for president, the people that work for her and her machine and the DNC began to transition their party over to a party of identity politics, where politics represent your struggle that you are fighting. This is the fight of your life, and it matters because this is the defining moment oh. of our historical life. And if we don't take action, if yeah. we don't speak up, if we don't do X, if we don't hashtag this, then if we don't virtue signal, then we're not taking action. And it, this identity politics has gotten people really, really riled up. Yeah. And it, I think it blinds people emotionally. It does. Because when it gets – it's the same reason why you have people that are like – and Nike people or Apple people or BMW people because they associate a bit of those brands with who they are, their own identity. I'm a person who has to have the iPhone because it's the nicest phone. I'm a person that drinks this kind of coffee because it's the right well, – or what, this beer, right? What about the whole Linux Microsoft we, we, exactly, wars? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
It is yeah. part of my – I believe in open source that free software is going to fundamentally enable people at a level that commercial software never can and gives people access to technology all over the world yeah. that can't afford it. That's a belief system. Yeah. And so all of this stuff is now super core to us where I think – when I was younger, even just maybe even not even younger, maybe even just 10 years ago, five years ago, what it felt more like four even years ago, it felt more like um, there's t- there, it, like politics was this thing that you observed because it was pretty much a, a sideshow to your life. Um, and that was even more so for like my grandparents. Like they would sometimes get involved with local issues, but they would basically just write off, oh, all the politicians in D.C. are corrupt. You know, they're all liars. And they wouldn't pay any attention to D.C. politics. They would pay attention to local initiatives and local issues. Yeah. And yeah. now that's all flipped on its head. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, we see it more and more. And I'm just hoping maybe one person at a time we can just say, hey, guys, take a step back, relax. We're all in this together. At the end of the day, we're all in this together, and we really should let's try to listen more to each other. Hey, uh, Matt says real quick, thanks for letting me stand, spend Valentine's Day in your sack, Chase. You're, you're welcome, Matt. Uh, Veratuna writes in, one of our Club 33ers. Okay, so the note of the week is this. Aside from Russia hacked the election narrative collapsing, was the eye-cringing scenes at the Winter Olympics where the only country that is not there being cheered so loud that it drowns out all the other fans, Russia, (laughs) hilarious egg on the face for the IOC. On a more serious note, we now have the first case of a UK citizen fighting against ISIS on the side of the Kurds in Syria being taken to court on terrorism charges. This shit show gets even more chaotic. Yeah. I only just heard about the shooting this afternoon. This is the one, uh, as we record this, uh, happening in Florida. And I personally feel that it says less about gun control and more about poor mental health services that seem anemic in these situations. That's it. Glad the sack is back. Now, don't be so foolish and let's let it go slack. (laughs) Okay. All right. right, Fair enough. I'm going to dignify that with an answer. Fair enough. Uh, Wow. I never knew this many people could fit inside Chase's warm and delightful sack. That was from AT. Thanks, buddy. Uh, John Jolly says, hey, what's with the Delaware governor last week suggesting school kids K-12 through could pick their name, gender, and race without parental permission, even to ordering sex-suppressing drugs to change gender? Or is that just media coaxing, uh, coaxing us to pull our hair out? I've, I didn't I would, hear I would about be, this. If I was in Holy school, crap. I would be uh, uh, William Shatner or uh, Bill Shatner or – Go by Bill. Yeah. Or, or James Tiberius Kirk. Yeah, fair enough. Last but certainly not least, Michael uh, writes and says, John Brennan and NBC. Thoughts? Oh, yes. I'm going to cover a little bit of that in the overtime. So I'll give my thoughts and I'm just going to say three uh, a name and uh, three call letters. Mike Morrell, CBS. Yep. I mean, I know it's a thing. All, now. all I gotta say, Michael, is this is a revolving Panetta, door. Panetta's get, on CNN. I yeah uh, yeah. I mean, you. This is what networks are trying to do now. They're trying to get the highest name level person that yeah. they can and get. Plus, you know, I'll, yeah. like I'll say in the overtime, think about this too. A lot of times when you when you listen to the reporters, what they're saying is a uh, a source familiar with the matter. Or they'll say a former intelligence official tells us, and what that is is that's somebody at the CIA tells Mike Morell and then Mike Morell tells somebody at CBS. That's how that works, yeah, right? Yeah. Um the, so that's that's very valuable for these stations to pick them up. It's creepy. It feels really weird. It's really a pet peeve of mine. So yeah, I got a clip about it. So if you want to get involved with my sack, head over to patreon.com slash unfilter. 
you know what? You don't even have to be in Club 33 to be a part of my sack because sometimes we will open it up to everybody. Boom. But special thanks to all you Club 33ers Absolutely. and everybody who support us. And a special thanks to all you guys listening right now to the show. the way that was a really good sack I, I thought we had some good yeah. in-depth discussion Thank thanks you. for the comments really, and feedback we could I really love that stuff. we could use some more we picked up one patron this week we could use actually some more support we picked up a club 33 during the show oh that's awesome so big thanks on that dude that's that is that is, that a big, is awesome yeah that is a big thank you all right well chase because i want to win i want to win speaking of winning mommy needs a joint <laughs> give so, mommy her joint let's let's talk about a very uh a very old old knock against cannabis which is back with a vengeance in the last couple of weeks. Is Sessions talking about? Yeah, it? we'll start. We'll start with Jeff Sessions. <laughs> I know, but 2018 is the further decline. We had a seven percent decline last year in uh, uh, actual prescriptions of opioids. We think doctors are just prescribing too many. I actually, I, I agree with that. Yes, yes, yes. Well, oh, we're just describing too many. You just, sometimes you just need to take. Uh, uh, he seems wasted. But, you know, here's part of the problem, though. I would love uh, – I mean, it would take some research, but I bet you he's received contributions from pharmaceutical companies. I'm just saying I bet he has. Stay that – keep that in mind as All we right. move forward. All right. Fair uh, enough. Buffering or something and go to, go to bed. Uh, now, here's where he goes not, off the rails. These pills become so addictive. They've, uh, it's true. And the here's DEA the said that a huge percentage of the heroin addiction starts with prescriptions. That may be an exaggerated number. They had it as high as eighty percent. I don't know why he he really. Seems why does to, he not believe things? He picks and chooses which data he just yeah. wants to believe. Jeff, we think a lot of this is starting with marijuana and other drugs too. Oh, but we'll see what the facts show. But wait, 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 wait. We'll see what the facts show. Yeah, there's already facts out there. Yeah, and we've already demonstrated you don't pay any attention to what the facts say. Now here is Ugh. so let's keep talking about this concept. The marijuana is a gateway drug. Everybody starts with this. It totally is, man. Here's another totally. angle. This is Sheriff Gray. Grady Judd, uh, he went to the White House today. New tonight, Polk County Sheriff Grady Judd making a trip all the way to the She's White House. The sheriff was invited to meet the president as a member of the National Sheriff's Association. And following the roundtable with the president, Sheriff Grady Judd spoke on his issues with the legalization of marijuana across the country. Every person I've ever asked that has a drug addiction problem, I would ask them intentionally What was your drug of choice, your first drug of choice that set you on this path? Marijuana. Every time, marijuana. The Florida Medical Marijuana Legalization. So I want to – let's play. Let's break it down. No, no, I'm going to play this. Uh, You know, the first drug that set me on my path, Chris, was uh, NyQuil. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I mean that was the first – you know, I was not feeling well. So the first thing I grabbed was some NyQuil. Yeah. And now I do crack cocaine. This is a common thing, and he's coming. You know what? I've got experience. I've asked these people. So I want to break this down because this is a real – this is this belief system is preventing forward progress on a really important issue. comes back to this common denominator. Every person I've ever asked that has a drug addiction problem – You see, there's your first problem. He goes into it looking for a certain data set. He, he doesn't go in with an unbiased opinion. He goes into the situation looking for data that he, he wants to see. I would ask them intentionally, what was your drug of choice, your first drug of choice that set you on this path? 
I would be surprised if there was anyone who does heroin or meth who doesn't also smoke cannabis. Or, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't ask a leading question. So so was it pot? Was it cigarettes? I mean, he hasn't mentioned cigarettes. I bet you they smoke cigarettes before they smoke right, pot. Or alcohol. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, a lot of times these drugs are so hard on people's systems that they seek out cannabis because it smooths coming down or onto these drugs. And so that's that generally drives up the cannabis usage when you're smoking other things. But I think it is possible because you grow up in the States listening to guys like this sheriff tell you that marijuana, which – is a racial slur term for cannabis will ruin your life. And he's not even. And the, the thing that bugs me here is this is just. A, let's say for a minute that what he's saying is absolutely true. Okay, let's say it is. How many people live in America, Chris? Three hundred fifty yeah. million people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say I'm going to give him a large number. Maybe he's arrested five hundred oh, criminals. Know. Okay, yeah, I know. His, his this bias it's a bias that he he's uh, projecting so here's the here's the issue is um i kind of i i kind of think marijuana could be a gateway drug only in the sense that you you take you get you get your hands on cannabis somehow you get some experience with cannabis and you realize that the, all the shit that guys like this this overweight cop have been telling me for my entire life are wrong. In fact, it's almost the opposite of everything they've told you. And so if everything they've said about pot is wrong, then is everything they've said about cocaine wrong? Is everything they've said about ecstasy wrong? Is everything they've said about mushrooms wrong? Is everything they've said about DMT wrong? You start to ask yourself a few more questions because holy shit, this is nothing like these fat cops have been telling me it is for my entire life. So I could suppose in some ways it's a gateway drug because when you realize that somebody's been bullshitting to you, that Santa Claus doesn't do doesn't exist, maybe you start to suspect the tooth fairy is fake as well. Drug of choice, your first drug of choice that sets you on this path. Marijuana. Every time marijuana. So we're legalizing across this country in the different states the drug that starts this addiction process. Now, you can listen to all the banner that you want. You can listen to all the hyperbole that you want. Or, you know, scientific studies or people that have experience. And look at this guy behind him, this face this guy has behind him. Like, what a bunch of dickbags, people that listen to experts. (laughs) We have anecdotal data here. But the reality of it is, is marijuana is the drug that starts it. And fentanyl is the drug that kills you immediately. And methamphetamine and cocaine is the drug that kills you over a period of years. I think the problem, really what gets me about it, is the amount of effort they spend on trying to make pot seem like it's this um, like this drug that it attacks your inhibition centers and enables th- this drive to seek out drugs. Which it sounds like a boogeyman. It sounds like, a th- it sounds like something that's made up versus hard data that has shown that it can be a massive relief for people that are stuck on Oxycontin-type uh, prescriptions and people that are shooting things up that they've been buying off the street. But nope, nope, nope. Don't pay any attention to that because like you always say, Chase... Show me the Show money! Me the money! Today's announcement by Purdue Pharmaceuticals is a major shift in the battle against the opioid epidemic. The company says it's cutting its sales force in half and promising to no longer promote its opioid uh, drugs you know with why? visits to doctor's offices. 
The writing is on the wall. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're about ready to get sued into oblivion. We have to prevent more people from becoming opioid addicted. That requires much more cautious prescribing. Oxycontin was once hailed as a breakthrough for chronic pain. But many recovering addicts like Heath Johnson now say painkillers are a pathway to addiction. I mean, it's, with uh, one thing, the overprescription, overprescribing of uh, opioids, I mean, has to stop. The announcement comes as the company faces a rash of lawsuits, many of which claim its sales practices are partially responsible for sparking the current opioid epidemic. Mm. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, New York. That's why you have a lot of local cities suing. Uh, states are trying to get involved now. This yeah. Is, this is the next tobacco thing. Yeah. So this yeah. is uh, – what. So, you, so you've got Jeff Sessions uh, saying that uh, pot's a gateway drug. you got Sheriff Grady going to a panel with Trump saying that pot's a gateway drug. But the awkward thing about the whole situation is – the other hand is talking about how medical marijuana is an effective treatment for opioid addictions. A pair of lawmakers say the evidence is there that medical marijuana should be used to treat opioid addiction. Oh. But the governor's Department of Health secretary won't let it happen. News 13's Madeline Schmidt is live at the Roundhouse in Santa Fe with more. So what you what you find out is you either run into this boogeyman sort of gonna gonna get you gonna rewire your brain gonna make you a whore gonna make you a drug addict pot is gonna turn you into that because it rewires your brain that's how bad pot is so that's the jeff sessions and the sheriff's opinion and then you have the lawmakers who say actually it can help people get off of these horribly addictive painkillers and they get blocked at a political level so it's either this hyperbole fear-mongering that blocks progress, or it's just politicians that are protecting their turf. Let it happen. News 13's Madeline Schmidt is live at the Roundhouse in Santa Fe with more. Yeah, well, Kim, twice now, the state's Medical Cannabis Advisory Board has recommended that the Secretary of Health add opioid addiction to the list of conditions treatable by medical marijuana. But nothing has changed. It started with a petition several years ago by Anita Briscoe, a nurse from Española, who says patients told her they were able to kick a heroin addiction thanks to medical marijuana. In response to her petition and research on the issue, the board of eight doctors recommended in both 2016 and 2017 that opioid use disorder qualify as a condition treatable by medical marijuana. Health Secretary Lynn Gallagher, however, hasn't added it. Now- so you got these doctors, you got these patients, they're all for it. So that's going to that, – I mean that does add pressure. The other group that adds a lot of pressure is veterans. The opioid crisis in our country is leading to more support for other treatment options, including medical marijuana. Some local veterans are calling for it to be legal nationwide and easier to access for those who need it. News 5's Cody Long spoke to some veterans today in northwest Florida about how it's helped them. And the problem is that this whole uh, marijuana helps you get off of opioids. Nancy, who's also a veteran, says medical cannabis made his final months much better. See, that narrative almost is the opposite of the gateway drug narrative. So if Jeff Sessions accepts this information, that the veterans and the lawmakers and the doctors and the researchers and even that adorable girl that we covered months ago, that 11-year-old, are all saying it helps with different things. If he accepts that, it sort of automatically destroys the whole argument that it's a gateway drug. Because it's being used to get people off of drugs and then, oh, by the way, it's not addictive. 
Also a veteran says medical cannabis made his final months much better. If it wasn't for that treatment of cannabis, it would have really been hard, you know. For- I think it's the same reason why when people are coming off of a drug something or other, what do you call that when you're coming off a drug? Just uh, a come down. Withdrawal? Yeah, well, okay, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, there's some drugs like the, the, the experience that I speak from is uh, I took Adderall as a kid a lot. For a lot of my years in school, and I would when I would I definitely have a come down when I would have to take two in a day. I would get like cold sweats and and my hands would shake, and I would go from having no appetite at all to all all day long to all of a sudden I have to eat immediately, just ravagedly hungry, and I had no idea I was going through a come down. I had no idea that's what I was doing. And no, no, the doctor never said anything. And so you could you if if smoking pot makes that easier, you got to figure that it's possible that when people are going off of opioids, it's the same effect. It's the same thing. And so yeah, it's gonna make it's gonna make living through that easier. And if in, you know for some of these people, they can vape it, so it's not like they're smoking it, or they can ingest it, or they can take CBD capsules. So there's like a lot of really healthy ways to consume this stuff too. For me, you know, when you've been with someone all of your life, you know, we were together for 23 years. To see someone go from over 200 pounds to down to 100 and some odd pounds, that's hard. She was one of about two dozen veterans meeting with Congressman Matt Gates at the University of West Florida. Matthew Rumpel is part of a group here together. They want another legal option besides pills. Uh, most of us suffer from PTSD, TBI, and we have been stuck with a lot of medications for years that we don't use or we don't agree with, and it's a lot of problems for us. Congressman Gates says the majority of the pushback has been from those in his own party. And he hopes that these veterans' personal stories will drum up some support. Now, right now- in the meantime, though, you just have – you have it just feels like uh, we've just totally come to a, uh, like a screeching halt with Jeff Sessions. Well, it's apparent that he doesn't believe in medical research. He, he, he does have an internal agenda. We've seen it. Yeah. He's projecting it all the time. Which I, which, I wonder, is, which is odd for me, especially when you have the president saying, you know, it's up to the states. States, you know, we want to let them yeah, do Yeah, but now he's got do. that sheriff's roundtable. Yeah, it's it's he, weird to me. Big Kitty has some red booking going on. She says that Big Pharma is trying to make synthetic uh, THC and sell it, which we do know that's true. Well, uh, don't forget the government, by the way. They have a patent. So um, uh, the the I, I wonder if it isn't – I wonder if it isn't a punting strategy. Well, we have to wait for the research. We have to wait and see. You know, that gateway drug, yep, we have to wait. Yep. It could be a punt strategy because there is a new pharmaceutical FDA-approved treatment for opioid addiction. New hope on the horizon tonight for people fighting an opioid addiction. The FDA just approving a new treatment that recovery centers say will actually save lives. So no more pot needed. We have a new drug coming from uh, the uh, pharmaceuticals. It'll be on the market soon. All new at 6. ABC Action News reporter Jake Peterson shows us how it works. For most of Gino Scano's life, he battled addiction. By the time I was 14, I was, uh, I was an IV heroin user. He went in and out of treatment programs, but nothing seemed to work. My daughter found me overdose and got me to the hospital. Scano says most opioid addicts are scared to quit. You don't want to give up what you're used to. 
fear of the unknown. Addiction is a difficult disease to treat. Dr. J. Wesley Ruffin sees the same addicts in the ER at Sarasota Memorial each month, but he's hoping a new medication just approved by the FDA could change that. Oh, yeah. Sublocade is a once a month injection. So sublocade. A once-a-month injection while you're coming off your opioids. Just approved by the FDA could change that. Sublocade is a once-a-month injection versus taking daily pills. So yeah. you, this could be maybe what the whole thing is, is they're punting. They're punting yeah. until they can get synthetic THC in the market, and they're punting until this is in the market. And they can say, well, we don't need it for opioids, and we don't need it to help with all the other things because now we can give you an exact measured amount of THC in this pill. But, Even though it's never worked yet. But there's there's one in, inheriting problem here, and that is uh, the rising cost of health care. So what is this going to cost per per dose, per treatment? Uh, it's uh, it's just going to be spun up, and the costs are going to be out of control on Do it. Do you see that comment in there from Axiom no. Max there? Uh-huh. It says, uh, at Chris Fisher, at Chase, at Big Kitty, I did drug testing with synthetic cannabis for cash, and it comes in as a spray form. It tastes terrible, but the high was unbelievable. The study used a much higher potency than a normal patient would get, though. No, actually, that was placebo, man. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, buddy. Yeah, that was just placebo. No, I'm just you know, <laughs> there could be something to it. Maybe yeah. you take that spray and you go get yourself some yoga. Well, there is goat yoga and laughing yoga, and now you can do your warrior pose with a little high. As the popularity of marijuana grows in states where it is legal to light up, people are adding pot to their workout. Danielle Nottingham takes us inside a special fitness class in San Francisco. Coming back to center. In a studio in San Francisco, yogis are mixing their passion for downward dog with marijuana. It's called ganja yoga. It's amazing. The awareness. New students are... How much are you loving this? Right? Like, how come this hasn't happened in Seattle? I'm, uh, rules and regulations, probably. Yeah. You actually you you can't know, do this, You can can't you? smoke indoors. It's, it's California, man. Yeah. It's called ganja yoga. The awareness. New students are flocking to D. DeSoe's classes now that recreational marijuana is legal in California. So people have the luxury of arriving whenever they want in this first half an hour, what we call the stoner social. Mommy needs a joint. Mommy's there, so, actually. Yeah, you she's, go here. She's right there. You go there to the stoner social. Look, so there's a gal smoking out of a huge uh, bong looking thing. Uh, there's some dudes in there too. It's and that gal's smoking a J. There's I see some vape pens. Uh, these people are taking pictures. Like this is a straight up party. So they're just hanging out in a lounge, getting high <laughs> AF. Luxury of arriving whenever they want in this first half an hour. What we call the stoner social. <laughs> Dussault believes the combination of mindfulness and marijuana can improve her students' health. There's anti-inflammatory benefits to cannabis, and specifically CBD products can have amazing pain-relieving benefits and anti-anxiety, anti-depression benefits. The class opens with students sampling cannabis products. Wow. We hang out, we talk, we kind of break the ice. Then an hour of yoga begins with breaks for a quick puff. While critics question the health benefits of using marijuana, Tiffany Marquez says it relieves her migraines and puts her body at ease. It helps to loosen your muscles. It helps to lower your inhibition so you're more likely to does, try a different move. That does it, does it, maybe doesn't alcohol you lower your inhibitions too? Try drugs. Students may feel a little loopy after class, so Dussault has uh, them stick around for 30 minutes to sober up. Last one. Dussault is expanding her classes in more cities to help others take their yoga practice to new highs. Yeah, buddy. Danielle Nottingham, CBS News, San Francisco. You know you want it on that action. Maybe you can get a franchise deal going. <laughs>
I guess if that doesn't work out, in the meantime, maybe you can send folks somewhere else. Just when I thought we couldn't top it, we keep doing it. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. Chris, if people want to keep in contact with you through the course of the week, maybe in uh, 280 characters or less, where can people go to? I'd say go over to at Chris L-A-S. Nice. Yeah. What about you, buddy? Uh, at Nunes, N-U-N-E-S. I've been doing a lot of pinball streaming. I did a test pinball stream last night over at twitch.tv slash geekgamertv. Oh, my goodness. And I was chatting with all the chatters over at discord.gg slash geekgamertv. Oh, yeah. You know, we get one of those two, discord.me slash Jupiter Colony, and there's a Love dedicated that. unfiltered chat room. It's Pakalakin. 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 Uh, I usually start streaming around 3.30 on Wednesdays. That's 3.30 Pacific. That's when the overtime gets recorded and we do some live show clips things like that chat with you guys so we'd love to have you join us live for the show otherwise just go subscribe in whatever podcast player you like we got rss feeds yeah linked over jupiterbroadcasting.com look for 269 and then right below the download links all the different feeds you might want for your podcast player or whatever's love that stuff all right buddy well you know in the meantime i'll just say this really quick yeah if you want to stick around we have a great overtime coming up i was going to mention yeah there's an overtime yeah there's a, so stay around if so you this can. is the show yeah. and then after the break yeah otherwise well, if you gotta go you well gotta go. we appreciate you being here and you know what in fact i think you know what we might do if it was just me and you chase Next week maybe 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 we'll see you right maybe. back here maybe 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 Next. Next week, week. <laughs> <laughs>the chatter it looks like the show's not over yet in fact it's over Thank you, everyone out there. Thank you. Thank you. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you for staying woke. Thank you to our patrons for supporting this damn show. When it's crazy, when it's a regular news week, if we have such a thing anymore, and when the entire world is falling apart, our patrons are there. So we are here for you. How about that? You can take that and run with that. Take that to the bank. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. Just one patron this week. So a big thank you to Big Kitty, who is in the live chat right now. Thank you. You are our one patron. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. No, it's true. It's true. Big Kitty is our patron this week. Thank you very much. This entire segment, Big Kitty, is basically dedicated to you. The whole damn thing. Well, and all of our other patrons, future patrons, anybody considering being a patron, this overtime is also dedicated to you. Whoop, 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 whoop. All right, let's start with the Oh Nancy segment. You know, Nancy did all right. She did all right. She did eight hours. When we went on the air last week, she was still going. And uh, here's the moment where Nancy Pelosi finds out she's just broken a record. It's kind of adorable.
more for my colleagues. I just got word that the House historian confirms you have now set the record for the longest continuous speech in the House since at least 1909. (laughs) I wonder what that was. (laughs) This is uh, Congressman Watson Coleman who spent... I don't really think she accomplished much with uh, her big speech. Uh, In fact, she ended up saying she was for the bill that got passed. So that was a little weird, but, uh, you know, I mean, she did set a record. To have so many of you here in the course of the day, a real tribute uh, to the respect that we have for our dreamers. So I accept your applause on behalf of them because it was their story in their words, by and large, that I told. In addition to the the Bible and the Catholic Conference of Bishops and oh Pope boy. Francis and Pope Benedict, uh, the, uh, the um, um, all, oh, so many other religious groups that we have. <laughs> yeah, you can tell she cares quite deeply about them. Uh, and this is what bothers me about this moment is what is seen as strength and leadership is somebody's ability to go to the floor and talk for seven hours. Not what they accomplish, not what they actually ended up getting done, but just the fact that they did it. But I thank all of you. And our basic request is honor the House of Representatives. Give us a chance to have it vote on the floor. The Republican leader in the Senate. The Republican leader. So she had her moment. So we're going to let her slide this week. We won't make a, we won't give her a hard time. We won't make fun of something crazy that she says. Instead, as a tribute to Nancy Pelosi for setting a record, um, we'll take a moment and uh, have uh, have a have a laugh. What do you say? What do you say? Yeah, there's the big firestorm as the National Portrait Gallery artist. Yeah, it's Alex Jones's turn in the canon. Hired by Obama is well known for being a black supremacist that calls for black women to be royal and to assess their royalty by chopping white women's heads off. Now, trust me here. I have chosen a choice peak Alex Jones clip for you today, my friends. You might be thinking to yourself, Chris, 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 what are you doing? Why are you playing this crazy man? Well, that's not necessarily a bad question. I will uh, grant you that. That's a fair question Um, because this is entertaining, my friends. This is Alex Jones freaking out about Obama's new portrait. And he paints all of that. Uh, Those articles are up on Infowars.com. You can throw that up on screen for TV viewers. I know it sounds completely uh, and totally unbelievable. But now uh, there is a new controversy. And I remember reading about this a year ago when he was chosen. And this has been in the mainstream news. You're never going to guess where he's going to go with this. You're never going to guess this. Unless you've seen this, you're never going to guess it. Uh, Obama portrait shock. President covered in sperm. Uh, this artist is obsessed with sperm. Uh-oh. All of his paintings have sperm swimming all over everything. All over everything. So I told Kit to take the question mark off. It's admittedly that he paints sperm everywhere. Yeah. Um, and the word is him and Obama are really good friends. Uh, so <laughs> I love how Alex Jones tosses that in there. Sperm everywhere. Um, and the word is him and Obama are really good friends. Yeah. Uh, and so here's a giant sperm swimming across the president's head. Now, for you audio listeners, uh, what Alex Jones is pointing to is clearly as plain as day a vein. A vein in President Obama's head, which he famously has them, especially when he's in his heroic thinking pose. Uh, 
In fact, I'm sure the artist put it there very much so to portray that imagery. It doesn't look like sperm at all. It looks like a vein because it is a vein on his temple. <laughs> he thinks uh, it's sperm. Also, um, shows the president has six fingers uh, in the national portrait. So there is the sperm, the head of the sperm. But this is a GMO sperm. It wouldn't even have a tail or be able to swim. So uh, these are fully formed sperm that he has. You can see the sperm uh, uh, there swimming as well. Uh, so that is in your face. That is, you say, well, it doesn't make sense. It's so degenerate. Sperm in your face, guys. It's sperm in your face. Well, uh, so that is in your face. That is, you say, well, it doesn't make sense. It's so degenerate. It's a religion of degeneracy. All right, so stick with him here. See, this is why he can get away with it. See, it's what globalism is. It's what Satanism is. So there you go. President Obama covered in sperm. <laughs> in new national portrait. Oh, my God. And it's all part of the joke in your face. Because they don't want upright strength. They want to have everything be a ritual. You know, Hello, everybody. I think that's got to be one of my favorite Alex Jones moments in a really long time. So I wanted to take a moment from the O'Nancy segment to share that with you. It seemed only fair every now and then. To <laughs> It's been so long. I had to wait and share a choice one with you. Let's move on, though. Um, somebody is very unhappy about applause. And this time it's not Jeb Bush. And it got to a point where I really didn't even want to look too much during the speech over to that side. Because honestly, it was bad energy. No, it's bad energy. You're up there. You've got half the room going totally crazy wild. They loved everything. Crazy they want to do something great for our country. And you have the other side, even on positive news, really positive news like that, they were like death and un-American, un-American. Somebody said treasonous. I mean, yeah, I guess why not? Wow. You know. Can we call that treason? Why not? I mean, they certainly... Just treason. ...didn't seem to love our country very much. But you look at that, and it's, it's really very, very sad. It's sad, you know? It's sad. So uh, he notices. If you don't clap, Donald Trump notices. And then he'll call you out for it. You know something that I'm calling people out for? I've noticed it's really actually kind of triggering me, guys. Hashtag triggered. All of these ex-government officials now working for freaking TV stations. Recent poll has found the majority of Americans believe their media is biased. It comes at a time when ever more former senior government employees are moving into TV punditry. With the controversy surrounding the recent Nunes memo giving them lots to talk about, RT's Samira Khan explores if there are grounds for the presumption of bias. Across the EU. Many people seeking expertise on the Nunes memo must be switching through channels these days. So is it a big deal or is it underwhelming? Was it right to release it? Well, here's a familiar face to answer all of your questions. The fact that Devin Nunes and Republicans denied the ability of the minority, the Democratic members of that committee, to put out its report. What the hell is the former frickin' CIA director, John Brennan, doing out there talking to the press? Just does, doesn't even matter what he's saying. Director of the CIA. That's odd. It's peculiar. Is just appalling. Oh, yeah, that's what it is, too. He has abused the office of the chairmanship. Yeah, yeah that's, that's rich. That guy talking about abusing an office. That's Report. rich. Is just appalling. He has abused the office of the chairmanship. Yes, that was John Brennan, former CIA director and now a member of the MSNBC family as a contributor. Yep, Bren that's right. Um, yeah, I guess I could have led with that. 
Yeah, that guy. John Brennan now works for MSNBC. Of course, you're going to remember that your uh, your good buddy is working for CBS. Former CIA director and now a member of the MSNBC family as a contributor. Brennan was a prominent figure in the intelligence community appointed by Barack Obama. But that background doesn't necessarily mean he's biased, right? But Brennan's not the only intelligence official who's joined the ranks of mainstream media. We also have Josh Campbell, who resigned from the FBI and joined CNN as a law enforcement analyst. He's yet to make his first appearance on the network, but before he does, here's an excerpt from his latest New York Times op-ed defending his former employee. These political attacks on the Bureau must stop. If those critics of the agency persuade the public that the FBI cannot be trusted, they will also have succeeded in making our nation less safe. It's not hard to guess what Campbell will say on CNN regarding the Nunes memo, which accused the FBI of bias. And just a little reminder, he was also James Comey's special assistant, the same Comey who's accused of wrongdoing in the memo. But of course, Campbell and Brennan aren't the first to make the switch. There is an absolute leftist bias in the country. Um, most of the networks, if you just add up, for example, the time that they speak negatively. I'm surprised we've gotten this far and they haven't gotten to Michael Morrell. Are we really not going to? Yeah. Look at that. The whole thing, they never get to Michael Morrell. That's kind of disappointing. I kind of thought by then they would have. Because that was the first one that I thought of, working with CBS and all of that. It's just been happening more and more. Uh, uh, Panetta is another one that does it. Panetta was on CNN today until the shooting. So, I, I it, and 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 the thing is, is like there's a really well known saying. It's like once you're in the CIA, you never leave the CIA. And then the other thing that they're constantly quoting in these stories is former intelligence officials. Well, that's these guys. They're essentially a, a, a leak avenue. That's why the media companies love them and pay a bunch of paying them a bunch of money, even though they look horrible and sound horrible on camera. Here's a bit of a strange story going around. I won't say it's odd, but I will say it's strange. And um, you probably heard about uh, Trump Jr.'s wife and uh, a few others receiving envelopes with a white, uh, like dusty sort of anthrax-looking type substance. Former U.S. President Barack Obama has reportedly received a letter containing an unidentified white powdery Uh substance. Police and hazardous material suits were seen outside Obama's office in Washington, D.C. Well, let's cross stateside now and to RT's Caleb Maupin for more. Hi there, Caleb. Barack Obama isn't the first person, correct me if I'm wrong, to receive a suspicious package in the last number of days. Is he bringing us up to date with all that? Yes. Now, the incident happened at roughly 12.30 p.m. local time. Uh, And what we understand happened was that this is at the office used by former President Barack Obama. This is in northwest Washington, D.C., and it's closely nearby the house in which he is currently staying that a package or an envelope containing a suspicious white powder was delivered. Um, Now, uh, from what we understand, individuals in hazmat suits are on the scene and people are trying to get to the bottom of this and determine what type of powder this is, what's really going on here. Now, this This comes just hours after we have a suspicious package uh, delivered to Houses of Parliament in the United Kingdom, also containing a white powdered substance. Now, just the previous day, uh, we had a letter that was delivered uh, to uh, to Donald Trump Jr. And as a result, uh, uh, Vanessa Trump, the wife of Donald Trump Jr., uh, has been hospitalized as a precaution. Now, it was determined that what was in that letter was not actually 
actually, um, it, the letter that was delivered to Donald Trump Jr.'s residence, uh, it's determined that, that that letter did not actually contain anything dangerous. It wasn't anthrax or any dangerous substance. It was merely corn starch. Um, but this is this is simply the uh, the latest. I mean, this has been happening. Uh, from what we understand, um, there was a package that was delivered to Julian Assange uh, just a week or so ago. Uh, a similar situation. So all across uh, the United States and Britain, we're seeing packages with mysterious white powders being delivered to politicians. Uh, if I was going to fry a little overtime bacon, I would kind of suspect. That it's an intelligence agency of some for some state because they would be the only ones I would think that would have that range to get to those politicians, know all that information. It just seems like it's a message. But of course, that's just totally me cooking up some bacon. Although uh, there could be a few intelligence agencies that are a bit desperate right now, especially those that are behind Bibi. He's having a bit of uh, a rough week. Israeli police have recommended that Benjamin Netanyahu be indicted on charges of bribery and breach of trust, throwing the Prime Minister's political future into doubt. It's now up to Israel's Attorney General to, to decide whether or not to file charges. Among the allegations, Netanyahu is accused of accepting, over a period of nine years, gifts worth hundreds of thousands of euros. Any indictment would, la- would focus on whether or not political favors were granted in exchange for the gifts. That clip was awful, I think, uh, because anything that talks negatively about anything out of Israel automatically gets scrambled on YouTube. So uh, remember your good buddy Ben Swan? He's back again, not with one but two videos this week. And so one was about North Korean sanctions and the other was about Jeff Sessions' war on pot. Well, Attorney General Jeff Sessions is ready to go to war, or should I say he wants to go back to the drug war of the 1980s. See, I've warned you about this before, but the latest step taken by Sessions should actually push some real debate over states' rights. Meanwhile, even after Sessions' comments, cannabis has seen its biggest month ever in 2018. It's a reality check you won't get anywhere else. Reality Check with Ben Swan, powered by Dash Digital Cash. I'm still not over that whole Dash Digital Cash thing. I did get some good information about it, though, uh, last week. And and uh, thank you to whoever sent me a, a sort of like a graphic of how the structure of all of this works for the people that are financing them. All very fascinating. Still learning a lot about it. And it's still weird to hear that Dash Digital Cash promo. Reality Check with Ben Swan, powered by Dash Digital Cash. Well, legalized cannabis just had an incredible month. January 1st of 2018 was a huge day for marijuana legalization. On that day, California, the country's most populous state, and by the way, the world's sixth largest economy, officially launched the recreational marijuana industry. More than 400 businesses were licensed as of January 1st. Cities, including Los Angeles, the most populous in California, began letting businesses sell cannabis for recreational use, adding dozens more approved licenses to the state's total. All of that happening with the backdrop of Attorney General Jeff Sessions attempting to double down on his hatred of marijuana and a move that he made that, despite what he hopes, may actually increase legalized cannabis. Uh And to understand that, we have to go back to 2013. See, in 2013, the Obama administration issued a memo. It was called the Cole Memo. It essentially told federal prosecutors to use discretion. Specifically, it focused on states that had legalized cannabis or recreational and medical use. It told those prosecutors to use discretion to focus not on businesses that comply with state regulations, but on illicit enterprises that create harm, like selling drugs to kids and operating with criminal gangs, selling across state lines, and so on. Well, that memo on its own was problematic because it still turned into criminals 
parents who might live in a state like in the state of Georgia, where cannabis oil is legal, but cultivating cannabis is not. Those parents have to cross state lines to get the cannabis they need, and that forces them to break the law. But as messy as all of this was, Jeff Sessions just made it messier when last month he ordered the Obama-era memo, the Cole memo, to be rescinded. So what does that actually mean? Well, first of all, it means this. Not only do federal prosecutors no longer need to keep their hands, for the most part, off of state-licensed dispensaries, it also means that all DOJ enforcement memos issued before and after the Cole memo are now gone as well. And that includes a 2014 memo that deals with money laundering laws and gives guidance on how financial institutions should be dealt with Uh if they want to provide banking for the cannabis industry. This is the thing. It also means this. Because since Sessions announced that he was rescinding that memo, the backlash has come from a number of places. Most importantly, from Congress. There is now actually a push underway to create a federal law that will require the Department of Justice to leave alone states where the cannabis industry is legal. Members of Congress, let's face it, they will likely move to protect an industry that's expected to generate sudden $2.3 billion in state tax revenue by the year 2020. And even after the Sessions move, another state, by the way, has just legalized recreational marijuana use. According to Vox.com, after Sessions announced his new marijuana policy, Vermont legislators, with the support of Republican Governor Phil Scott, legalized marijuana for recreational use. The law won't allow sales, only possession and growing. But it's a big move because Vermont is now the first state to have legalized marijuana through its legislature. So what you need to know is that Jeff Sessions may hate marijuana, but polling numbers prove that by and large, the majority of Americans hate the drug war even more. In fact, the latest poll from Gallup shows 64% of Americans support the legalization of marijuana. It's the highest number in half a century. Oh, and by the way, in that same poll, for the very first time, a majority of Republicans favor legalization, with 51% expressing support. See, the war on cannabis is coming to an end, but what would be almost ironic if Jeff Sessions' attempt to revive that war was the catalyst to finally ending it for good. That's Reality Check. Let's talk about that tonight on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, I'm not sure why his audio, uh, as you guys are noting in the Discord, was so bad. Because he has a lapel mic and a mic above him. And I'm assuming the room, roomier sound was from the mic above him. Maybe it was backup audio. It's new, you know, as he's just getting that operation off the ground. There's going to be little kinks like that he has to work out. Good information, though. It's kind of interesting to get the background on those memos. Uh, have you ever wondered why CNN is always on at all of the airports in the United States? Surely it can't be for their quality. So why is it always CNN? Well, Cucker wondered that, too. Well, if you've ever been to an American airport, you may have noticed something. Everyone's watching CNN. They don't have a choice. Well, that may have made sense 20 years ago when CNN had a centrist reputation. But these days, the channel has strayed so far to the left and is constantly promoting wacky Russia-related conspiracy theories, along with strange spiritual advice from resident philosopher-poet Chris Cuomo. you got to wonder what's going on. Airports feel like a lesser version of hell with dirty seats, overpriced food, and propaganda posing as news on CNN. So why is this network, this channel, in every airport in America? We decided to find out... And in a surprisingly large number of cases, the reason is that CNN is literally paying to have you watch them. What? CNN has a special package called CNN Airport. It combines news, sports, and travel. In at least 60 airports, CNN has signed agreements to show the channel. In Miami, for example, CNN Airport pays the airport authority a minimum of 150 grand a year. Just at that airport, at Miami. They pay, they pay the Miami International Airport. That's wow. CNN Airport pays the airport authority a minimum of 150 grand a year. In Minneapolis, 
The airport authorities there told us, quote, CNN covers the costs related to the TVs and infrastructure and pays us for the opportunity to be in our facility, which raises the question, how much would you have to be paid to watch CNN? If the answer is no amount would be enough, we don't blame you. Unfortunately, at the airport, you don't have a choice. <laughs> I don't know what I mean. Can you just imagine like that they pitched that like, hey, you know what really pisses me off? Let's go figure this out. Let's go figure this out. Why is it always like this? What's the reason? And then and then they went and discovered that they were getting that's a pretty big check, 150,000. I got a new segment for the overtime. Are you ready? It's odd news. News that makes you go, "Huh. Jeez, that's a weird story this week." That's a weird one, Chris. Uh, we'll start off with this. There are many unanswered questions this morning about a deadly shooting outside the National Security Agency. Officials say the two men in a stolen vehicle confronted guards at the gate yesterday morning. One of the men died after police opened fire. The other is in a local hospital. Now, there's an interesting element, uh, which is actually similar to a White House uh, shooting. Anyways, there's, there's an interesting odd aspect to the story. Investigators believe that a simple driving error led to this incident. Jeff Begays is near the scene of the shooting at Fort Meade, Maryland. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. That simple driving error may have been just a wrong turn. The two men ended up at the gate of one of the most secure facilities in the country. Two banged-up SUVs littered the road in front of National Security Agency headquarters. This is just some of the evidence of a violent confrontation after police shot and killed one suspect and seriously injured another. Investigators say the two men stole an SUV from a hotel in Jessup, Maryland. Shortly before 9 a.m. on Monday, they turned onto the road leading to the NSA gate. So uh, if you're tracking so far, they want you to believe that two men in a stolen SUV accidentally drove to the NSA at the Fort Meade military installation in Maryland. Police at this guard booth ordered the men who were dressed as women. Oh, and they were also dressed as women. Now, come on. Haven't we heard this before when it came to the White House and when security had to shoot at a driver who was dressed, a man dressed as a woman? It might just... This seems like this is deja vu. And they just slipped that in there. Today, they turned onto the road leading to the NSA gate at the Fort Meade military installation in Maryland. Police at this guard booth ordered the men who were dressed as women to turn around and leave. But investigators say the vehicle failed to stop and barriers were deployed. So they accidentally drove past the guard dressed as women in a stolen SUV because of a wrong turn. Then the NSA says the SUV accelerated toward a police cruiser blocking the road. Oops. Police opened fire, killing the driver and wounding the passenger. The stolen vehicle crashed into the NSA police SUV. Later, emergency personnel took one NSA officer from the scene on a stretcher to a nearby hospital. In a statement about the incident, Fort Meade's garrison commander said that residents, service members, and civilian employees on the installation are safe, but added that the staff was remaining vigilant at all access points. Investigators say that wrong turn happened after what a source describes as a night of partying. Law enforcement sources also say a gun and a small amount of cocaine was found in that stolen SUV. <laughs> Charlie. Hey, Jeff, thanks. You know, uh, uh, how old is that story if Charlie's in there? Uh, that is so funny. That is, that is, I feel like we have heard this before. 
That is a weird story. Uh, okay. Now, you ready for the second weird thing? The National Security Agency is investigating a shooting outside its highly secure headquarters in Maryland. Guards stopped an SUV at an entrance to the campus this morning and shots were fired. Sources tell CBS News three people were injured here. One suspect is in custody. Jeff Begays is at the NSA in Fort Meade, Maryland. That's northeast of Washington. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. The good news is the situation appears to be under control. There are police here on the scene. No, this is not the same one. This is today. The NSA is to my left. We're being told not to shoot it for security reasons. Now, here's what happened. Shortly before the sun came up, a car slammed into a barrier at NSA headquarters. Wrong turn. Uh, Shots were fired, and you can see that from the windshield of the vehicle. (laughs) Right now, and these numbers are shifting, we're being told that three people were injured. They are not uh, gunshot injuries. We're told that they are car crash injuries. But again, it is still early. We're also being told that there is one person uh, that is in custody that is being questioned, and it looks like that person is cooperating. Now, what this is, we still don't know. Investigators are here on the scene, and that includes NSA police. That includes the FBI as well. So investigators are still looking into this. It is still early on, but obviously a serious situation at that checkpoint here at NSA headquarters. Shots fired, three people injured, one person in custody. Nora? All right, Jeff, thank you so much. How weird is that? Isn't that odd? Isn't that super odd? And And then for your last odd story of the overtime... All right, a woman in Oregon contracted a rare eye infection never before seen in humans. That left her pulling more than a dozen worms out of her left eye. The good news is she is better now. Haley Rush shows us her story. What started as an irritated eye for Abby Beckley a year and a half ago turned into a startling discovery. So I pulled my eye kind of down like this and I looked in that bottom little crevice and I was like, something looks wrong. Like maybe I have a piece of fuzz stuck there. So I went like this in like a picky motion and I felt something in between my fingers and I pulled it out and I looked down at my finger and it was a moving worm. The then 26-year-old from Brookings, Oregon was in Alaska at the time and knew she needed to get it checked out in person. So I ended up flying back to Oregon to deal with this because I had between the first worm I pulled out... um, and then no, no, the no, no, doctor's no, no, appointment no, 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 no. I had pulled out or seen about four. So I oh, knew no, that there no, no, wasn't no. there wasn't just one. She says doctors were just as puzzled as her. It, it was honestly the, the most unique call I have gotten. As for treatment, her doctor at OHSU encouraged her to keep pulling out the worms when she could. It's a little unsatisfying to, to ask a patient to just keep pulling out the worms. But hey. that is the best thing to do because if we give her an antiparasitic agent, the worms would die in there but wouldn't be removed. There was 14 of them in total. And I, I, I was the only one that was able to kind of successfully pick them out. And that was the only thing making my eye feel better. That took several weeks. And Beckley says she's been worm-free ever since. When I was going through it, it was like there were parts of it that was almost so strangely comical but then there was also parts of it that just felt like a li- like I was living in a nightmare. According to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Beckley had a type of eye worm called Thalasia gullosa. It's seen in cattle in the U.S. and spread by flies. And until now, it has never been seen in a human eye. So when I was researching this, I couldn't find anything about this. And that 
is really fear. That's scary. And so I'm hoping that if this ever happens again, um, that that one person can Google this now and there'll be a bunch of stories and they'll be like, oh, this girl made it out. Okay. Like she's okay. I can be okay too. I, I don't know how she's so calm. I have this fear of like the worm. You see the tapeworms? You've seen those? They showed those yeah. to us in school when we were kids, and I'm always terrified of them. I can't. There's worms coming out of your eyes. Like that's like something out of a horror sci-fi movie. <laughs> I'm lightheaded. Right? Like the, yeah. just listening to her. I'm thinking she's that so she was calm. smiling through it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Like, the, I would be screaming thing. like, "Get them out!" Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. I think I would knock myself out. I like know. just <laughs> <laughs> somebody handle this. Right. I'm, no way am I yeah, putting wow. worms out of my All eyes. Right. Well, hopefully, it won't happen to anybody else. Isn't that, isn't that odd? Isn't that, I just thought that was odd. So that's uh, whenever now, every now and then when we have a batch of odd stories in a week, uh, I'm going to play them in there for you. You like that? Yeah, you think that would be good? Now, um, there's a lot more we could cover here in the overtime, but I feel like we should end on something that uh, really captures the state of the uh, nation, uh, really kind of puts a, puts a pin on it, brings it home, magnifies it. It's, um, it's a damn shame. So a uh, a gal drives over a hundred miles to go in and have a, about ninety seconds of time, where she tries to call out corruption. Now there is a there is legislation that is being debated that essentially allows uh, the state to turn over people's lands to mineral companies with really no permission from the landowner. And everybody voting in favor of this is being paid off by these companies. And so this woman goes to the town hall meeting to start listing the corporate donors of the members, and they ain't having it. Um, I'd also like to point out that the people who are going to be speaking in favor of this bill are all going to be paid by the industry. And the people who are going to be voting on this bill are also often paid by the industry. For example... This is in West Virginia. And I have to keep it short simply because... The public only gets a minute 45 while lobbyists can throw a gala at the Marriott with whiskey and wine and talk for hours to the delegates. So to keep it short. Oh, snap. Oh, uh, on the Judiciary Committee, Charlotte Lane, about $10,000 from gas and oil interest, including AEP, Marathon, First Energy, Dominion, EQT. And I could go on next. Let's talk about John Schott. From Mercer. Yeah, talk about that bastard. First Energy, $2,000. Appalachian Power, $2,000. Steptoe and Johnson, that's a gas and oil law firm, $2,000. Consul Energy, $1,000. EQT, $1,000. And I could go on. Now let's talk about Jason Harshbarger. Uh oh. Miss Lucas, uh, we ask no personal comments be made. If you want to talk about This is not personal the, comments. It is These... a personal comment, and I'm going to call you out of order if you talk about individuals on the committee. So uh, if you would just address the bill. If not, I'll ask you to please step down. They cut her mic. They turned her mic off. Her took uh, $3,500, about 40% his money. They cut her mic again. They cut her mic again. This guy walks up. They move the mic away from her mouth, even though her mic's been cut. She's like, let me finish. Dragging her off now. They're literally dragging her off, and then they just move on like a bunch of corrupt bastards. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> she just keeps. would be Julie Archer. 
Moving right along, they do. Nobody says anything. Thank you for saying something. Going to patreon.com slash unfilter and saying you want this damn show to keep going. You appreciate the independent coverage and our priorities being aligned with our audiences. Patreon.com slash unfilter. The Unfilter Show appreciates you. Hope you can join us live. Go to jblive.tv and jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the live time converted into your time zone. And if you'd like to send us your feedback, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. I'm at Chris LAS, and we'll see you right back here next week.